Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg. Every single second half guesstimate that you will hear over the coming days, weeks, and months will hinge on a very uncertain view of how long mitigation efforts will stay in place. And any hopes for a sharp rebound will be shaped by how well a fiscal plan is executed. And at the moment, there is no agreement in Washington. That will be the focus of this program over the next couple of hours. And joining us on the phone, I'm pleased to say, is Peter Hooper, Deutsche Bank Global Head of Economic Research. Peter, first question to you, sir. Just how much damage is being done every day we go without a big package from Washington? Uh, Good morning, John, Tom, Lisa. Delighted to be on. Certainly, the, the failure of, of Congress to to uh, agree on a package is is problematic. We we've been expecting something from the Senate uh, in the, in the, in by very early this week, uh, and this has to then make it uh, through the House. But no question that uh, on on a number of fronts, uh, rescue is certainly needed, uh, not just to get us uh, a, a recovery down the road, but to to prevent major damage um, as, as the economy goes into freefall here, which it is doing in the near term. No question, the numbers are going to be falling off a cliff uh, as we go into this week and next. Um, so we, we, we absolutely need, we have to have unemployment insurance backstopped. Uh, millions are going to be out of jobs. Uh, Congress has to get its act together and beef up our unemployment insurance system. That's in the bill and needs to be beefed up even more. Uh, number two, we absolutely have to back up, uh, backstop small business in the U.S. Um, and and, uh, and corporate debt. Um, uh, and number three, the muni market. I mean, to get unemployment insurance out, states are going to have to have to uh, borrow more. Uh, mm-hmm. Muni market's frozen right now. New York State, New York City cannot bring money and uh, uh, paper to the market. Um, uh, in this bill that Congress is considering, uh, they're, they're looking at uh, putting funds into uh, uh, direct uh, backstopping business, but also importantly, most importantly, I think, right. uh, getting, getting the Fed system uh, operating here. Peter, what's so important here, and thank you so much for taking time away from your Deutsche Bank clients this morning. What's so important here is we've watched, John Lisa and I have watched West move from $40 billion to $200 billion, $1 trillion, $2 trillion and up. If we now know the shock better than we did a week ago, what is the downside of a massive three, four, or five trillion dollar phased-in program until we figure out the virology of this virus? What's what's the so what of throwing a wall of money at this? Okay, well, several questions you raise there. Number one, I don't think I've seen numbers yet that have accurately gotten the downside. Uh, Thank you. I agree. Yeah. I'll say we're coming out with a report later today that. Uh, well, would you know? Come on, no one's listening to the program, Peter. Give us a heads up on that report later today. Well, we'll <laughs> the heads up is I have not seen numbers to the downside yet <laughs> that are, are are near accurate. Okay, I mean, yeah, that's well, fair. Number one, we have no idea what accuracy is here, but reasonable guesses when you're looking at a major at whole economies being shut down. Uh, when you're looking at major states uh, going through this and, and the spread still accelerating in the U.S., 
Uh, I mean, we, we're still assuming that this is something that's going to last a matter of one month, two months, three months, uh, and, and how, much that, how much it does uh, determines how far things fall in the second quarter, which is going to be tremendous, no question. Uh, we're also assuming that we begin to see some bounce, and all this uh, fiscal ammunition that's bring, being brought to bear will have a major uh, uh, impact. The question is, how much can we prevent the damage from a free fall in the economy by backstopping business, by backstopping households and, and the earnings losses uh, through, through unemployment insurance, uh, and by in the, in, the, in the very near term, in the days ahead, getting the credit market functioning, getting yeah. the muni market functioning. I mean, we have to get the Fed. I mean, the Fed is the Fed has gone all out, but the Fed has more that it can do if it gets if it gets the wherewithal from Congress. A lot yeah. of talk right now about this uh, package and and 400 billion plus to uh, to put into a facility to allow the Fed to purchase uh, longer-term corporate bonds and munis, and, and that's, that's critical. We've got to get that going. So right now there are sort of dual crises here. There's the economic crisis we're talking about, and then there's the financial crisis that a lot of people think is getting a, to be a much more real possibility, which speaks to the speed people are hoping that this uh, stimulus will get passed. How important is the speed of the passage versus the details? Uh, both are important, but speed is now of the essence, I think, given what's happening in the credit markets. Um, states states are going to, this week, we're going to see uh, unemployment claims jump into the millions. States are going to be totally swamped on uh, on their ability to, to handle this without uh, being able to go to the market to uh, float more debt. Uh, the, the Fed has to, has to, Get the market going. Has to backstop this market to uh, allow this allow this to happen. Uh, if households, uh, you know, uh, many households are, are living uh, paycheck to paycheck. If if uh, if people can't uh, go out and buy their necessities, uh, it's it's going to be a, a real problem. I mean, uh, and then there's uh, many firms are starting to let people go. Uh, if they can, if they can be backstopped, if they can get the, the the loans that are needed to tide them over this, what we think is going to be a transitory crisis, then we prevent having many many people lose their jobs, and we have a economic system that can come back. I mean, uh, you, you you put a lot of people out of work, and and yeah. uh, it's difficult getting things back together. The economy needs help, and it needs help quickly. Peter, we appreciate your time this morning. Send my best to the team, won't you? Peter Hooper there, Deutsche Bank Global Head of Economic Research, this Thursday. Let's bring in Mike Dardis, shall we? MKM Partners, Chief Economist and Macro Strategist. Mike, always great to get you on this program. Fantastic to have you with us. Your thoughts from what you've heard so far this morning? Well, John, thanks for having me. You know, I'm encouraged here by the the recent actions of the Federal Reserve. Initially, it seemed like they were just totally being overwhelmed and toppled over by the huge, unrelenting surge in money and liquidity demand. And actually, starting Friday, we were we we it was the first day we started to see real yields fall back in the tips inflation break even market, and uh, they've moved lower again 
today. So remember, from about the 6th of March uh, through most of last week, there was a huge surge in real rates, a collapse in inflation expectations, and obviously a lot of carnage uh, in a broader array of credit markets. So we might be seeing the very first signs that the Fed is starting to get some traction. Again, it's preliminary, but every journey starts with one step. Michael Dart, if we throw billions, hundreds of billions, trillions of dollars at this natural disaster, this virological disaster, is there any harm to the economy? I mean, don't we just pull that back over the quarters and the years once we get through this natural event? Well, Tom, listen, if this were isolated to simply a supply-side shock, it should be contractionary and inflationary. That's what a supply-side shock is if it's adverse in an aggregate supply, aggregate demand model. What these money markets are telling us is that we have an incredible adverse demand shock unfolding, and that's going to require a tremendous amount of monetary and fiscal action that is sustained. That's the key here, sustained. If it's just viewed as temporary and likely to be yanked back as soon as conditions um, start to to normalize, then we have the prospect of of, limping out of this without a full-throated V-shaped recovery. That has to be the key. So the risk here is that we do too little and back off too soon. That was the mistake made after 2008, and we cannot afford another lost decade for the labor market. That would be an utter human tragedy. Mike Darda, as I was reading all the headlines in the news over the weekend, it seemed like there was a competition for the most dire prediction for the economy Mm -hmm. in the second quarter and beyond. And depression started to become a word that was used more and more frequently, a sustained uh, downturn over the course of years. Do you see that as an increasing possibility or is that a little bit too far in the gloom school? I'd say only if policymakers completely fail. So that will be a choice. You know, that that is not a destination, um, you know, that is etched into stone. We know there's a huge contraction coming that, you know, is, is unavoidable. But how quickly and forcefully recover, we recover is a choice. And so that means, you know, policymakers doing whatever it takes and keeping it up until we're there. So we're going to take a huge hit in the short term. But the key now is how do we come out of this if and when the pandemic either ends or starts to let up? Uh, And that's that's really a policy choice. So let's not make the mistakes we made in 2008 where the fear was we're doing too much. We're going to debase the dollar. There's going to be inflation utterly wrong across the board. And guess what? The labor market paid the price with a 10-year period before we got back to full employment. If that happens again, capitalism could be on the chopping block. So let's not go down that path. Mike, uh, you, you raise a good point, and it goes to John's point earlier about speed, about how there already has been a lot of missed opportunity here with uh, how slow, even though they're moving really quickly, how slow Congress has been trying to pass this bill. Have they already been too late at this point? I, you know, <clears throat> I think I, I think they have, but you know, they but they can still do good by trying to to catch up and to get the policy mix right. So no doubt about it. I think you know, too late across the board. Listen, just 
a few short weeks ago, all of us together that are on the that are on the airwaves now were talking about the yield curve reinverting. Right, the Fed Federal Reserve came into the year with short-term interest rates above long rates. That's a sign right there uh, that policy's out of whack and you are vulnerable to shocks. So no one could have predicted the pandemic, but clearly I think we've made some policy mistakes and you know in the past and in the recent past that have made us more vulnerable. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try everything. Uh, in our power to make sure that we vault this economy out of what's certain to be a you know a sharp contraction uh, back to full health within a year year and a half that needs to be the goal and if we yeah. can find the right policy mix I think we can do it let's hope we can achieve it you know better early than late but better late than never but for me at the moment Mike the sequencing of this is already so so messy we needed yes. huge SME support before the shutdowns. We needed SMEs convinced that they would get the help so they didn't lay off people. We're in the shutdown. We don't have the support. They're already laying off people. We needed checks in a post yesterday. Those checks, what, are a couple of weeks away, even if we get that passed today? Hopefully we can get that quicker than that. But, Mike, this is already really tough. And I'm wondering whether an economic shock has already become a credit crunch. We're there already, aren't we, Mike? Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. If you look at the commercial paper and high yield markets, we're seeing spreads there as of Friday uh, of last week that we hadn't seen since the, you know, essentially the the worst of the 2007-2009 global financial crisis. And so uh, what's happening now is expectations of collapsing nominal GDP and nominal incomes are feeding into the credit markets. So consider the Scott Sumner market monitor is, quote, that nominal income is the resources with which yeah. to pay back debt. And so if you have an economic shock, a demand shock, that can actually cause what looks like a credit crisis. So, you know, so it's right. not, you know, the credit markets are reflecting that in real time, but it's tied to that huge collapse in inflation expectations. That's why it's important when you hear people say, oh, printing money. Yes, that's what you do here, right? If you have a deflationary shock, you print money and the risk is right. you don't print enough. That was the 08 lesson. Let's not fail again. Joining us worldwide and across this nation, Michael Dart of MKM Partners. Uh, Michael, a celebrity emails in from Coventry, England. Mrs. Farrell emails in and says, more Euclidean geometry. We need it right now. Let's go ISLM right now, Michael Dart. The supply curve in this supply shock has shifted, and many would suggest has become inelastic. How does the supply shock shift back to normal supply? Well, Tom, I'll, I'll give you some. I, so with the ISLM, I think we can think about this big shock to liquidity demand, yeah. right? So we were seeing real interest rates shoot up from the 6th of March until last Thursday. Huge, over 100 basis point move. You know, in, in less than two weeks, that was even more forceful than what we were seeing in the dark days of 08. So that's like the LM curve shifting to the right. Higher real rates and a reduction in output, not what you want to see. So it looks like that might be starting to reverse at the margin. But back to what I, uh, where we started, if you tie the ISLM into the aggregate supply, aggregate demand model, just a simple supply side shock should give you a contract you know a contraction but with inflation that's what happens what we're dealing with here looks like a demand side shock and that's why policymakers are are really going to be required to do things that are more permanent this time if all of these actions are viewed as temporary sure you'll put out the liquidity panic but the risk is that the economy won't come back to full health and you know and that's really something that that we can avoid and that we should avoid. Michael Dada, always great to get your thoughts. A shout it's out wonderful. to the dogs. 
and to the missus as well. Mike Dada there, MKM Partners, Chief Economist and Macro Strategist. I would suggest the senator from Massachusetts would like to hear from the economist from Chicago. She is with Grant Thornton. Diane Swank listening to Senator Warren uh, this morning. Diane, the urgency is profound, and I want to go to the idea of the economic impact, not on the big companies, but on the thousands of suppliers they have. You are in the absolute crucible of that in Chicago. How beleaguered will the suppliers be in four weeks' time? Well, it's important to remember they are already feeling pain in mid-February as the supply disruptions coming out of China were compounding. And so this is something, a, a kind of graph, much like the infections that goes up on an exponential curve. And that's what's critical to remember is that the losses we're seeing, um, it's not just individuals. We need cash and money, uh, hands of individuals. We need small business. But you have to deal with the whole economy because that is where we're at. If you can only pass it for part of the economy now, then in two days pass for the rest of the economy, but we need it hit on all sides. The blow to state and local government budgets is also extraordinary, and they're on the precipice of having to deal with deep cuts at the state and local level as they're deal- at the front lines of this crisis. That's just not acceptable, and I sort of agree with Jonathan here is that, you know, everyone standing on their ideolo- ideological um, platforms is not helping us. we got to shelve all of the ideology and help everyone, and we can't discriminate because the virus doesn't discriminate. We have to help on all sides, which is what the Fed acknowledged today, that you need to hit everyone. But the Fed is only on one aspect of the economy, credit markets, and people don't want it. Small businesses don't want to pay, take out loans they can't pay back. They don't want to take out loans to pay workers that they don't have anymore and then have to pay it back if they don't have those workers anymore. <laughs> Congress needs to get their arms around this and just act, even if it's just to get the first tranche out, get it out, get the second tranche out. We're talking days here, and they need to learn to vote remote because they're all infecting each other, too. Diane, that's an interesting point there at the end. Diane, so we've over the weekend, we've had a lot of the uh, Wall Street banks come out with their GDP outlook. Where do you stand? How bad is Q2 going to be, and will, it be a, uh, how, will there be a recoveries in Qs uh, 3 and 4? Um, I don't think there will be a recovery in three and four. And, of course, it's a moving target. We're all standing on quicksand with little visibility. And the way that – the problem is the way that we do this. I mean, I have an almost 20% decline. Some of the banks have 25. Others are talking 30% decline. You can get all those numbers. Um, And the problem is on unemployment, you have a huge certain precipitous drop in payrolls immediately, which we'll see in the unemployment claims. So not everyone is is eligible for unemployment insurance. You also have – you know, when we start measuring unemployment, what does it mean when are you participating in the labor force if the whole economy is shut down and you can't look for a job? That could influence mm-hmm. our unemployment rate. So, you know, this is, um, I think that what we have is something you have to think of in stages. There was the denial, the contagion, and now we're, you know, into the part mm-hmm. of dealing with the pandemic, which is global in scope. And when we start to deal with efforts of testing, tracking, and trying to manage, the focus our efforts more aggressively on bringing up the economy, that'll be a slow process of ramp up. And we don't get to the new economy we merge into will be different than the one we had before, because now pandemics are no longer just something you see in a horror movie. They are a reality we have to manage every day and ensure the health of our employees, our workers and our our customers. Diane, thank you so much. Too short a visit. We'll uh, do something longer next time. Diane Swank with Grant Thornton this morning. 
This is the conversation of the day. Ben Laidler is with Tara Hudson in London. He writes very short, very dense notes, and he usually has written them with a sense of optimism, a glass half full feel, feel. Ben, I loved, loved, loved your note in the last 12 hours, I believe it was, where you really make a distinction between 2008 in 2020, and you say what's fascinating this time is you really don't want to be near the financials. You've got other places to go. Let's begin with that idea. Why are you avoiding financials? Uh, I, I think for a lot of reasons. You know, I, I think that there's just sort of the, the view out there that's all about Main Street, not about Wall Street. Certainly Main Street's leading us down, but um, th- there is a transmission straight back into the financials. Yes, they've got, you know, big capital buffers, you know, this time round, but they're still going to take quite a lot of pain here, I think, um, fundamentally. Um, we've also written quite a lot about share buybacks. They've suspended share buybacks, um, which I don't think is a huge surprise, given the amount of support they're getting uh, from the Fed here. But um, you know, they had a uh, 5% share buyback yield last year. They were some of the biggest buyers back of, of their own shares. That, that's a key support that I think has uh, gone for the whole market, but I think um, it's going to be especially keenly felt uh, for financials. And, and I also think um, we're in a world of... Uh, Obviously, bond yields staying low for, forever, and, and I think that's um, you know pretty difficult for financials. So I, I think there are um, um, I, I think there are more attractive ways to play this than uh, than financials for sure. It's interesting, Ben. Looking at it, we've had a lot of uh, economists come out from uh, Wall Street with uh, forecasts, and you know just some huge, huge declines uh, in the second quarter. But thinking about Goldman Sachs, they have a clear V-shaped outlook. You know, after a 24% decline in GDP, U.S. GDP in Q2, they have gains, significant double-digit gains in Qs three and four. As you think about the market, how are you thinking about how the economy will perform? Yeah, I mean, I, I think anyone that tells you they really know is, is uh, you know, it's been a little bit disingenuous. I, you know, I think the base case is uh, that um, you get, you know, a V or a moderate U. Um, but, you know, I think I, and the problem is, I think there's two issues. I think one, the depth of that V, and I think that's what's so important about this week. You know, we're going to get this terrible data uh, on the jobless side. We're going to get this terrible PMI data. And um, I think economists, really, for the first time, are going to start putting hard numbers in those forecasts. We've only just begun to see those sort of Q2 trough numbers, whether it's GDP or EPS, uh, begin to come down. And I think uh, beginning to put some sort of you know, more realistic numbers on that is, is really important in terms or is a prerequisite for us to sort of build a bottom here. Um, because I do think everything else is sort of beginning to fall into place a little bit. I mean, in, and policy response is really beginning to accelerate both on the monetary side and the fiscal side. And I think the technicals in terms of sentiment, in terms of how far we've fallen here, um, yeah. is also you know, capitulated. Ben Laidler, not on a technical basis, but on a fundamental or almost securities analysis basis, how do you dollar cost average into the bottom that you can't see coming? How do you approach placing capital across the time continuum of a bottom that you can't see. Right. So, I mean, basically, you, you, you want to have that. Um, um, if, I, if I look back at all the corrections over the last 30, 40 years, if you bought that average correction, which was only minus 20%, we're obviously down a lot more than that, your 12-month return has averaged uh, 22%. So, obviously, we're down you know, an extra 10% from there. Uh, so, I think that gives you quite a lot of potential buffer to... Um, 
uh, to beginning to put capital to work at these levels. I look at, I can look at the sentiment capitulation as well. We have a sentiment, uh, you know, index which is, you know, levels that you've uh, maybe only seen three or four times before over the last sort of twenty years. That tells a similar story. You buy in at these sorts of levels, your twelve-month return is uh, is is north of twenty percent. I think that gives you, um, you know, a fair amount of protection if markets continue uh, to fall here. There's somewhat of a buffer. Um, and just to be clear, I'm, you know, I'm not jumping in with sort of both feet here. All I'm saying is I do think the risk reward is beginning to shift. I think people should be thinking about what to buy rather than uh, rather than what to sell. You know, our core <clears throat> positions are still yeah. fairly defensive, but I would be looking at those cyclical recovery trades. You know, start producing that sort of uh, that that cyclical buy yeah. list at this point. Ben Layler, thank you so much. Not enough time today for Tower Hudson. Well, he's just been wonderful with us here in yep. the last number of weeks. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Subscribe and listen to interviews on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whichever podcast platform you prefer. I'm on Twitter at Tom Keen. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.